Um, she's no longer young, but we still think of her that way. And, uh, and she had a rough uh, beginning to life. Uh, she, she, she went through illness. Um, she lost her father when she was so young. I don't think she really remembered her dad at all. And he took his own life uh, on top of it. So it was just a difficult way to begin life. Her mother's a very dear Christian lady, did the best she could. But still, there was a deficit there. There was no man in her life, no father figure. And uh, do you know what her, uh, this young lady's favorite TV show was? Bar none. You're like, how would I know that? Uh, you'd have to just really have a, a, a mind for this. But Little House on the Prairie, Little House, she grew up absorbed by that TV show. Michael Landon, I, uh, if they were, I don't know that Michael Landon ever had any posters. I'm not sure. I don't know that he was fodder for poster material. But if there'd been those, she would have had his, his picture all over her walls because she saw an intact family. And a strong, loving, and if you know the story, a Christian uh, husband, father that took care of the family and an adoring wife and you know, the children. It was just this beautiful picture, wasn't it? And she didn't have that. That's a sad story. The truth of the matter is she grew up to marry a, a Christian man and have Christian children and a Christian household and all that. And so God uh, you know, made up for that which she did not have as a young person. But her lack of a father in the home didn't cause her to reject the ideal. You know, growing up in a single-parent home didn't make her say, oh, well, that's how it ought to be. No, it was like, no, I know what it is I'm missing. I know what, uh, what, what it is I want. And you, you look at our culture, and our culture has just completely lost track of any sense of what the ideal family ought to be. In fact, now it's like throw all of that out, and the family's just whatever you want it to be. It's whatever we've determined at that moment it ought to be. So you get to this passage like the one in Colossians, and you see a picture of, of God's design of what the Christian home ideally, you know, and things happen and, 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 and people die and all kinds of bad things. But ideally, this is kind of, this is what it looks like. And if we're bold enough, and we trust the Lord enough, um, then, then we will seek after this in, in our own lives. So Now, why does Paul write here at this point about the family? Why does he write about it? I'm going to read to you one of the dumbest quotes I've ever stumbled on from a commentator. Um, this is from, I'm just going to give credit where credit is due. This is from Erdman's Bible Commentary, which is not a resource I go to very often. It happened to pop up within my uh, software, and I read it, and I went, then <laughs> uh, I thought, I'm going to quote that to the congregation. So they'll see what a really stupid idea looks like. Um, so um, it says, quote, This passage a somewhat humdrum list of instructions to various groups seems to have no real connection with what surrounds it. But there's no textual evidence to support the suggestion that it is a later addition to the letter. So what are they saying? They're saying, well, okay, Paul wrote it. We're going to give credit that Paul wrote it. Why he wrote it, we have no idea. It doesn't fit anything else. It's a boring. He probably was running you know, down to where he still had a paragraph of space left on the page, and he had to fill it with something. So this is what he did. That's the attitude. I think, it's an, I, I think the, the passage and how, it's, how Paul lays everything out and how it's interwoven, I think it's perfect. 
I think there's an enormous uh, uh, clear sense of why this is important. If you go back to chapter 1, and you're like, that's been a while. Yeah, it's been about half a year. Uh, but if we go back to chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, look at what Paul says. Really key in on this. Don't just let the words flow over you. Think about it, because I don't have time to lay it out all over again. But hear what's being said here, and, you, and I think you'll pick up on what I'm laying down. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, I don't, it's been a long time, but I don't know if you kind of remember how we covered that. But what's clear is that you, when, when we understand God's will, when we learn what his word says and we deepen in our spiritual understanding, what happens from that is not that we get big heads and we become uh, academics and we have a PhD and we get bragging rights or that we have visions like the false teachers we're promoting. What happens is we learn to walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Like everyday life. Not visions of the third heaven, but how does it look like here down on the ground? And what it looks like is this whole and healthy and properly understood Christian family. So that's what we're going to look at today. Is you put it all together and you come, out, you come off of all of Paul's teaching of what it is to be in Christ. To have taken on Christ. To, to have died with Christ. And to be alive now in Him. And, and putting off the old and taking on the new. And doing everything in His name. This is how we do everything in His name when it comes to the family. Are you tracking? So the motivation here is... For Christ's name. Look at what we've got. Let Jesus be Lord of your family for his name's sake and your good. Remember, every, do everything you do in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's where we ended last time. So this is an extension. Why are we going to do what this passage tells us? You say, so I can be happy. Well, I put that in parenthesis for your good because it is true. You, it, this will be for your good. Ultimately, when we obey the Lord and when we understand it and it finds its proper resting place in our heart and in our obedience, it is for our good. But the primary number one reason we're doing what we're doing here is for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Just as with all things, everything. But this in particular has to do with the Lord Jesus. So uh, we're going to look at four kinds of people who need to let Jesus be Lord of the family. Ladies, I'm sorry, we're going to start with you. Just like we do at the 5-2 meal, by the way. Check that out sometime. <laughs> yeah, amen. Let wives submit to husbands. Let wives submit to husbands. This is your chance to run out of here screaming. Okay, in the absence of that. Um, I don't know. Are you, ladies, are, are you comforted uh, with this? Do you, are, are, does, are you, do you have a relaxed attitude? I think... Judging by everything I've ever known throughout the whole course of my life and hold the whole you know, war of the sexes and stuff like that, there's probably some people that just are barely okay and can barely tolerate even hearing this. This, this is a tough one. And uh, I think, by and large, that, that people within the church are, are guilty of taking on what the culture teaches us and and forming and conforming our Christian understanding to what the world is telling us. 
And if you listen to what the world, you know, you hear the term patriarchy thrown around a lot. I remember when that was a good word, you know, when you're reading the Old Testament, you read about the patriarchs, and that's a good word. But, but like, oh, now everything's, it's the evil patriarchy. And, uh, and I get it. Look, there are, there are examples where women have been mistreated by men, fully acknowledged. And there are examples where women have been mistreated within Christian communities and Christian families and within churches and all of that. And we, we don't deny the existence of those things, okay? Hear me when I say that. But those exceptions, and I, and I do think they're exceptions, they've led some people to believe overall lies about the connection of husbands and wives and what makes for a, a, a happy family. And, and so when even Christian women sometimes hear wives submit to husbands, they hear abuse. Like that's the first thing that comes to the mind. Well, that's just going to promote abuse. And that's going to lead to a rape culture and all these other kinds of things, these buzzwords that you hear. I heard Nancy Piercy on a podcast recently. She's a She's a Christian author, and she's kind of taking on the whole question, the whole issue of toxic masculinity, but from a Christian perspective. So she's written this book. The book is titled, um, if you want to get it, I haven't gotten it myself yet, but Toxic War on Masculinity. The Toxic War on Masculinity. And on this podcast, one of the things that I thought was extraordinarily interesting to hear is that the sociological data proves the exact opposite of what our culture keeps pushing. And some people know this, and they still push the lie, even knowing that it's a lie. And, and this, here's what it is. The sociological data for the last 10, 20 years, and this is women self-reporting on anonymous surveys and so forth, and when they, when they pull it together, guess who the happiest wives in America are? <laughs> you, okay. That, see, that's proof of it right there. Evangelical Christian women report the highest level of happiness and satisfaction in marriage. They also report the highest level of of, of, uh, men being engaged in the rearing of their children. And this is known. This is known. There was even somebody, uh, she quoted, I don't remember who the guy was, but he was a writer for the New York Times, hardly a Christian at all, hardly a Christian publication. And, and he acknowledged this truth, and he said, you know, the liberal people I run around with were constantly bashing the Christian right as if they're Neanderthals. He's like, you know what? We need to be humble and look at this because they're doing something right. Because they're getting it right. I mean, the, 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 the data doesn't lie. This, this, this is shown over and over again. So what does Paul actually say here? He says, wives, submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. We all come into this world within a structure of authority, don't we? And there are all kinds. We all live under authority, don't we? How many here are an authority unto yourself and you have, there's no authority over you in your life whatsoever? Anybody in that? We, we, you quickly start bumping up against all these people that have some say in your life. And, and I don't care if it's the zoning board or the, you know, the city council or whether it's the police officer, officer who pulls you over because you, oh, you were going you know, 10 miles over the speed limit or whatever it might be, right? Um, yeah, there's all, there's all kinds of layers of authority. We're kind of like the centurion. Remember the centurion whose servant Jesus healed? And he's like, you don't need to come to my house, Jesus. Just speak the word. Because I'm under authority 
and, and I have people under authority under me. So you just say the word. Remember that guy? But he perfectly described where all of us are. Women are to submit to their husbands. And this is not the only place in the Bible, in the New Testament, where this is said. And that means that in key ways, in, in, in a very key way, that the husband is to be the leader, the head of the household, and, and some decision-making may ultimately come down to, and you, you know, I, I would never suggest that a, that a man lead in this way. Um, there should be discussion, there should, you know, a woman's input is valuable and ought to be fully integrated into the decision-making, and if you can be mutual and stay mutual with your decision-making, that's great. There are times when she has to cede to him, to, to his authority in that area, as it, as it reflects upon the family. Um, in creation, God made us, are you ready for this? This is jolting. He made us male and female. I know. He did. He did. Our genders were made by him in his sovereign design. And God said that was good. And if God is good, which I think the evidence is really strongly in that favor, I think we should embrace the distinctions that he built into it, that, that he designed into it. And within that, husbands and wives live within a certain Context of authority, of submission. Go back to where we started, ladies, and I want to say this to you to comfort you and to strengthen you. Um, this isn't so much making uh, your husband happy, although you, you should want a happy husband, as men want happy wives. Uh, but you're not doing it primarily and, and on the first, in the first place for him. You're doing it for the Lord. You're doing it as unto Christ. You're doing it for the sake of his name. This is so that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be exalted among the pagans. It's, it's, it's in answer to the question, how do I, within the family, reflect the word of God and honor the Lord Jesus Christ? So if you're struggling with him, which is common, um, just, just ignore that for a moment and focus on Christ. We do all of, all of what we're talking about, we're doing for him. Secondly, let husbands love their wives. See, men, men clearly get the better part of the deal. We get to be just these, you know, fat and sassy you know, potentates that, you know, tell our wives to get us a sandwich or a beer or whatever. Right? That's the, isn't that the trope? Like, that's, that's what male headship would, would end up looking like. Um, I don't think that's quite how it was ever meant to be. I don't think any happy homes look like that. Um, but men and women are of equal worth in the sight of God. They are of equal worth in, in society, so we'll just plainly state that. Um, both genders, men and women, which is binary, right? That's a binary choice. Um, there's only two. Um, they serve one another. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to go to... Some people, they just want to erase submission altogether, and so they quote where Paul says, submit to one another, and they say, see, there's no difference. We're, we, we just submit to each other, and that erases a distinction that's necessary within the family uh, of a certain type of submission. But I will say this, both men and women are to serve one another. That's a different word and a different understanding, but men and women are equally to serve the other. Women respectfully submit to their husband. 
um, which you can tease out what all of that means. But, but the man, the man is to serve the wife and to serve her in a different way for her well-being. Men have a lot of responsibility for the, for the overall welfare of their wife and their children. It is, it, the buck stops with him. He's got that. He carries that load. Look what Paul says again. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That is on them. That is, that is on the man. That is how he is to serve the woman. We try to erase these distinctions and we ought not because they're there. They, they exist. You know, can, can a man be nurturing? Yeah, okay, sure, right. Can women be strong? Yeah, absolutely. But in the nature of the genders, in the nature of the sexes, men don't give birth. Men tend to go and work by the sweat of their bow, brow and the wife bears. You know, you, I'm going back to Genesis with the curse and all of that. Um, there are distinctions. Lately in society with the transgender sports thing, I've noticed that all at once, even some liberal um, feminists are like awakening to the idea that, you know, for years back in the 60s and the 70s, there's no difference. It's just all how we raise people. And if we just raise people the same, they would end up having the same gifts and the same strengths and the same weaknesses. And now all at once, you know, with the whole transgender thing, as these biological males are, are competing in women's sports and, and, you know, breaking records, all at once you do hear people going, hey, wait a second, that's not fair. Well, why is it not fair? It's not fair because of how men and women are different from one another. Men are, by nature, stronger. doesn't mean every man is stronger than every woman, but by, by, in general terms, they're stronger. Um, we had concrete uh, cut this week at our house for an egress window. And... Um, that was, that was the guy I was talking about. You know, he and his buddy came out to cut it. And uh, they were down there in that hole that I dug. And he was there. These are heavy machines. And they're having to hold them for like an hour as they, as they do all of this cutting. Turned out I had, who knew? I had 11-inch concrete there. Not what they were expecting. Um, so it was hard. It was hard. And, I were, and, and they, they have to do it with water, uh, you know, to, to keep the blades cool. And so water's pouring into this dirty, you know, hole that I've got there. And, and this young guy's standing. And he's got the water now up over his ankle, muddy water. And he's doing this back-breaking labor. And then they have to squirt and break it with a sledgehammer. And he's heaving up these, you know, he's, this is a young, strong guy. And I don't know what that thing must, some of the chunks must have been well over 100 pounds because he's like, you know, up over the, and it hit me, I, probably because I was preparing this passage to preach, and I was thinking, you know, there, we still need men. We, we, there's, I, I was thinking, do I know any women? I know some strong women. I don't think I know any women that would have done well with that particular job. And I say that um, to get at what, why it is that men are called to love their wives and not be harsh with them. Recall that Paul has just called on all Christians to put on Christ, to put on gentleness, kindness, patience, humility, long-suffering, forgiving, love. It's almost like men are to take their whole constitution, their whole testosterone-driven constitution, and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ kind of invert that and treat their wives with love and gentleness. 
very similar passage that speaks to this. And this has been a passage that's been hated for a long time. But I think women, if you listen to this I, you know, with an open heart, I mean, this is good. This is from Peter. Peter says this. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You're like, well, why is it calling women weaker vessels? It's talking about their physical strength. It's saying that by nature, the way men and women are made, and, and, and all of that, that women should be protected and loved, because there is a big scary world out there, and they don't have the physical strength in, in, in certain situations, and the man is there in order to love and protect them. We men are called upon to put the needs of our wives ahead of our needs. Men serve, they serve us by submitting. We serve them by giving our lives and our energies for them. Listen to what Paul says over in Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What does it mean that he gave himself up? Is that a metaphor? No, he got killed for her. He was put to death for her. I would, I, you know, I would ask men and women to think about this. If this be the case, if that is how men are to love and, and be gentle with their wives, if, if Christ is the metaphor of how we are to love our wives, is there any room for abuse? No, is, is, is this a, could this possibly be a bad thing if understood biblically? And the answer is no, it, it, it's the most beautiful thing of all. Do you think it's easier for men to love their wives or for women to submit to husbands? What do you think? Um, I'm not going to even try. I'm not even going to try. Um, when I look at that, I think this is probably pretty balanced. Because in one sense... If it, challenge, it challenges a man in his strength and virility and all of those things to be gentle, then I'm guessing, I've never been a woman, it's probably somewhat challenging for women to you know, gladly submit to, to men. Am I right? Probably both are called upon to do something a little bit difficult. What I do know, by the way, is if the Titanic is sinking, if you're a man, you're going to give your place in the lifeboat to your wife. And if you don't have a wife, you're probably going to give it to a woman you do not know. If there's a war, you're going to say, do not draft my daughter. Do not, I'll go in her place. I don't care if I'm 65. I'll still go, you know, or whatever the case might be. Uh, you know, a lot of men, ladies, work tirelessly, back-breaking, body-breaking jobs. And it may not always look like love to you, but that, that's a love language in and of itself that... that that we shouldn't take for granted. Ultimately, men, I would say, we cannot expect this. When we lay it out, it's like there's a fairness here, isn't there? I'm laying it out like it's all perfectly fair. Like women, women submit, men love, and it's this perfect balance. The reality is, if you're a man and you feel like you're absolutely killing yourself and you think your wife's not quite living, <laughs> living up to whatever it is you think, you're like, I don't think she's putting in as much as I, you can't do that. Same thing for the wife, you're like, like well, you know, I feel like I'm submitting and giving a lot more uh, than, than that deadbeat. Um, we really can't put it in those kinds of terms. Uh, it, Jesus calls us to this. He calls the man here to love his wife in that way and not be harsh with her. It's not about what she's doing, it's what, what is Jesus telling you to do?
We have to get the right understanding on that particular point. And by the way, um, you know what? If husbands want from their wives respect, um, that's okay. To want her to think that you're the greatest man who has ever walked the face of the earth, that's too much. Respect. Some respect for, for your good for your good points. It doesn't mean she's blind to your bad points, but she sees some good stuff in you. A little bit of respect goes a long way. That's what I think that's all you can expect. By the same token, I would say to the women, yes, husbands are to love you, but not necessarily like, like you're a goddess, right? Like I think some women think that when men are off at work, that they should spend eight hours there thinking, I can't wait to get home to her. I can't think of anything else but her. That's not how it works. Okay, men are compartmentalized. They, if they think about you during the day, it's probably because you called them. Because uh, they, yeah, because <laughs> they're trying to figure out how to get this stupid piece of concrete, you know, out of this wall. And that's just that. That's just, so. We sometimes don't don't get your expect, expectations too high. Each of us need to listen. What is Christ calling us to do? Okay. Third kind of person, let children obey their parents. How many here are into old country music? You love old country music? Okay, how many know the old Merle Haggard song, I turned 21 in prison doing life without parole? Yeah. No one could steer me right, but mama tried. Makes you want to sing, doesn't it? I'm not going to. That would be too painful. But, uh, but, this, but this song is cool. When you hear it, when you think... I turned 21 in prison doing life without parole. And, and basically he's saying, I didn't receive the instruction of my parents. Mama tried. She tried to raise me right. She tried to raise me in a godly way. I just rebelled and I didn't listen. So children, listen to this. Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. That is saying that when sons and daughters are young and at home under their family's roof, that they are to do what their parents tell them in everything, in everything. I can remember when I was a child and I got this uh, teaching somehow. I don't know who told me because I wasn't very much in church. But I remember trying to think of all the exceptions that there would be to that rule. Because I, I guess I thought I was going to be a lawyer when I grew up or something. Uh, but I was trying to parse it out, like, surely God can't mean in everything. And, okay, so there's always exceptions to things. Like, if, you're, if your parents are crazy and they tell you to step off a cliff, no, you, you, you don't do that. If your father is King Saul and King Saul wants you, Jonathan, to hate David and be murderous toward David, no. Okay, so there's your exceptions, and that, that, those are the only I know. Other than that, you, everything else. Um, <laughs> Pretty close, right? Children come to understand their place in the world, in the family. Ideally, that's where they learn. They come into the world and they, they, they're just all, <laughs> almost all ego, all will. You know, they cry because they want fed. and That's about all that, that exists. And then within the context of family, they understand nurture and warmth and love. But they also come to understand that they, there are limits to what they can want and what they can will and what they can accomplish with that will. It's in your family, among siblings perhaps, that you learn that you are not God. And that, you know, nobody, you know, uh, nobody died and made you king or anything like that. That, that, that again, you're, with, you're within those structures of authority. 
And ideally, in the family children, you're raised within that context, and you do begin to understand that there are authorities over us that we are to obey. There's the, you know, more in your life, uh, perhaps, than there are for adults, but they still have authorities. I mean, you got the crossing guard, the lunch lady, the teacher, the principal. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Sometimes it's even your older brother or sister. Isn't that awful? It doesn't seem fair, but you know what? Sometimes mom says, you listen to your older brother, I'm going to leave you with him, and, and then there you go, right? Um, Ultimately, the command to honor your father and your mother is a command that teaches you how to love and honor God. That, I mean, not to say that your parents are God and they do a very poor job of imitating God, but they're trying to instill in you a reverent love and a reverent fear. And that is good. Paul writes this in Ephesians. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. There you go. Honor your father And mother, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. So when you you learn to obey your mom and dad, when you don't give them constant grief and constant rebellion, when you learn to submit, it's good for you. It's good for you in a host of ways. It, it, it's helpful. You'll not turn 21 in prison doing life without parole if you, it, you know, if you listen and you submit to that. I want all of us to know something that's kind of remarkable here, even if you're not a child, and so maybe you're, you've tuned this out, but Paul is speaking directly to the children here. Now, isn't that unique? Think about it in the time of its, even today, but in the culture of its day, wouldn't you expect in first century A.D. For, for somebody to say, hey, parents, make those kids mind you. Don't let them get out of line. Don't let them you know, cause a scene. Don't let them to make noise at church or whatever the case might, might be. You know, like, get them, come on. It's your job to get them straight. You would think that that's what would be said, but it's Paul speaking to, just as Paul spoke to the wives. He didn't say, husbands, make your wives submit to you. He doesn't say, wives, you know, twist your husband's arm to love you. The same way, it doesn't say, parents, force your children to obey. Although, you know, that's, is kind of part, part of parenthood, but he speaks to the children's heart. I think we sell children short. We think that, that children can only be taught by carrot and stick, and that's just all there is. And, and there's some of that, and there is foolishness bound up in the heart of a child and all of, the, all of the rest of that. But your child has a conscience. Your child, Lord willing, has come to know Christ or will come to know Christ. They're being raised in that environment. They're having spiritual truth given to them. And Paul is speaking right to their heart. And he's saying, children, children, obey your parents. They should be obeying him for the same reason that wives should submit and husbands should love. They should do it for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus. If you're a child and you say, how can God be honored by my little life when I, I'm not important and I'm not doing this and I can't do that? I'm just a, I'm just a wee little child. Um, you, can, you can bring glory to the name of Christ by obeying your parents. And it will teach you as you, as you do that. You're going to learn more and more how to understand God himself. Last kind of person who should uh, let the Lord Jesus rule over the family is with fathers. Let fathers not provoke their children. 
We each uh, can judge how our fathers did at that. Uh, or if you didn't, I didn't have a dad at home. I had a mom, and my, uh, my mom did the best she could. Mama tried. Um, but she was also a woman with a temper. And so, yeah, the parenting could have been better, I think, at times. But I will say this. I'll give my mom credit and my, and my grandparents. Uh, I don't think they ever provoked me by, in terms of what Paul means here. Look at the passage. He says, Fathers... Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And I think the word provoke here has a lot of overlap with our modern understanding of abuse. Like mental abuse, emotional abuse, that sort of thing. Because when you're talking about provoking, other synonyms for it are embitter, uh, frustrate, things like that. Cause resentment. You know, the kind of person... Some fathers don't arrive fully formed, ready to have the authority over a child, and some people are a little twisted. I mean, I, some people are twisted up, and that's just how it is. Take a father maybe who's, a, say, a heavy drinker, struggles with alcohol, uh, and he yells at his kids when he's drunk, and he can be all over the map, and children don't know what they're gonna, which dad they're going to get at any moment. Say there's a little, one of the boys is little Johnny. We'll just call him little Johnny, and because uh, that's what pastors always do. It's little Johnny. Um, but little Johnny is the whipping boy in this scenario. Because there's always one in the, in the kind of scenario we're talking about. There's always, if, if dad's like that, sure enough, there's going to be one of the kids that he really takes it out on. That's going to be the whipping boy, little Johnny. Little Johnny's trying. He's doing the best he can. He goes out and gets a paper route, partly because he needs money because dad doesn't give him any, partly because he just wants to get away from home. He gets out there, he does the paper route, and he buys himself a bicycle. Brand new shiny bicycle so he can deliver papers. And because he's a kid and he wants a brand new shiny bicycle. And one day, say, a couple days go by and he's just as happy and joyful as he can be. And one day dad gets in a mood and little Johnny says something or something didn't get picked up. Some chore didn't get done. It's probably one of the other kids' fault. doesn't matter. Little Johnny's always got fault. And his dad says, you know what? You don't deserve a bike like that. And he goes out in the garage and he takes a sledgehammer and he just beats that bike to smithereens. Say, oh my goodness, Jay, that is a horrible, horrible illustration. That, that would be awful. Well, yeah, I'm taking, look, at, that's like an extreme example, though, of what is being spoken of here. When you're talking about provoking a child, Paul is saying um, to think about how you discipline your children. None of us get it right all the time, but you don't want your child, well, it, the outcome, it says, is to be discouraged. So by being all over the map, hot, cold, uh, permissive, uh, stringent, going all over the map, you, you can, your child can end up discouraged because they, they don't know whether they're coming or going. Mom, dad, but dads in particular because you're, you're the ones being... We'll let mom off the hook for a moment because he's talking about dads. But um, dads, the best thing you can do, in my mind at least, is to be loving and firm and clear and consistent. That's all. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's, this isn't rocket science. You know, there's things, behaviors you want your child to do, things you don't want them to do. Communicate to them, say, if this, then that. Huh? If you do this, there is this reward. If you don't do this, there will be the absent of, absence of that reward. If you do this behavior, I will, I will take this thing away. You won't have your Xbox for a week. The problem has, and I think kids, when they know mom and dad love them and there's no cruelty there, it's just mom and dad being consistent. I think children navigate that. 
They understand it. If they think mom or dad are just going to like blow up and they, and they can't say when or where and all of a sudden they're grounded for a year, which lasts precisely 30 minutes and all that kind of stuff, it's just, yeah, it's not consistent. Um, it's, it's not what really gets kids where they need to be. Your goal as father is to raise young men and women who love the Lord. So you're doing this not just because it's upon you to do it, but because this is what the way that you can honor Christ. This is how you do everything in Jesus' name. So as you, pray, as you approach fatherhood, how to parent, think about, not, it's not just this little isolated piece that I'm looking at right now. I'm trying to develop and build and encourage, not discourage, encourage a soul who knows Christ or will know Christ. And I do that for the sake of the name of Christ, for the sake of his kingdom, and for the sake of his gospel. That's, what, that's why you're there, men, so that Christ might be glorified. Okay. So when, when, when you look at these four things, this humdrum list, <laughs> we don't know why it's in here. Um, when you look at this list, honestly, uh, you know, I mean, the world would shrink back in horror at this. You're saying that it should be a mom and a dad, a woman and a man, and, and this, this submission and all of this stuff and, and, and this firmness. And yeah, you look, at, you look at this, even if you're a Christian and you want to live this, it's challenging, isn't it? Now, I know most of you have followed this recipe perfectly, so it's, it's just to you, it's like, yeah, yeah, I know this already. But for, for some of us, it's a struggle. I, you know, I'm past the child-rearing uh, part, but I'm still a husband. I, you know what? It's, it's, it's a lifelong process, isn't it? It's a lifelong process. What we need to understand in relationship to the book of Colossians across the board is you can't live this apart from your union with Christ. You have died, wives, husbands, children. You have died, and your life is hidden with God in Christ. Christ is your life. You identify with him. His spirit is in you. You are clothed in Christ, and, and, and daily you, you want to take on those things that reflect well on Christ. And then as you engage as a father, a mother, a husband, a wife, a child, you do it in his name. You, de- you do it for his namesake that he might be glorified. And parenthesis, this will be for your good. I'm, I mean, you look at the world that we're living in. You look at the chaos of the world that we're living in. Doesn't that prove kind of what we already know? God, God, has, a, God has his way, and then there's everything else, and that, that everything else isn't going so well right now. Can you imagine what would happen if we had godly families? Like if, if every family was an intact family of a, of a loving father and, and mother, Raising their children in the Lord. Just the prisons would be empty. And uh, yeah, yeah. I think many people who are not believers also want healthy families. I wouldn't take that away from anyone, that desire. The question is can you bring that about with all of the sin and brokenness in you and all the sin and brokenness in the world? Can you make that happen apart from? from the strength that comes through Christ alone. And, and I, I, I'll tell you, right now, I don't believe you can. Uh, 
the only way for something like this to work. How do husbands who are naturally stronger and, and, can, and can have tempers and all how can they love their wives as Christ loved the church? It has to come from him. It has to come from him, which means you need to come to know Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord of your life. You have to hear the gospel. You have to repent and believe in that gospel, believe in Christ, and then he will save you. And then he will start growing you. You will have his Holy Spirit in you working out these, these things like gentleness and patience and long-suffering. And you'll, you'll come to understand his word and what it calls you to. And then and only then will you start to be able to live that out in the context of your family. And for your good. <laughs> and for your good. Let's pray. Lord, it is a challenge uh, to us to be conformed to any uh, anything. <laughs> we like to be free agents and just, we'd, we'd kind of like to be little gods if the truth were, were uh, told. We'd kind of like to just uh, call all the shots. But Lord, you've laid out for us um, what a Christian family should look like and what each of our roles ought to be within that. And I pray, Lord, that we would take it to heart that we would do it for the sake of the name of Christ, for his glory. We know it's for our good, and so we, we rejoice in that. Um, Lord, for anyone here that doesn't know you today, I pray that, that their heart would, would want um, what you give and that they would seek it today, that they would seek salvation through your son and all of the good fruit that flows from that. We ask it in his name. Amen.